Good afternoon again. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 4, today. So if you want have a Bible and want to turn there, or you can just follow along in the bulletin where the same text is printed. Mark 4. I'll give you my Benadryl disclaimer. Um, I don't know what I'm allergic to in the desert, but it's something. And hopefully rain stops it, but I've pepped up on Benadryl. So if I just stop talking and stare off into the distance, maybe Nick, would you say something? <laughs> just for everyone's sake. You know what Six Sigma uh, standards are in business? Some of you do. Some of you that try to produce things in your lives. It's, uh, it has to do with efficiency, as far as I can tell. Um, figuring out best practices, ways to do things so that uh, your enterprise can succeed and you can uh, produce what you're producing with greater efficiency and care and hopefully profit. That's as close as I'm getting, for those of you who know what it is. You know, I'm just using it for an illustration. Because um, I try to think what the uh, Six Sigma people would do with Jesus if they're trying to help him run his ministry better, you know? Um, because I don't think they'd be really excited about uh, his procedures and approach to making things happen. Right? It's not like... Uh, Best Practices for Religious Movements. It is a book on his shelf or something that he's read. Uh, all the things that people might think would work well if you're trying to create a movement that's going to transform the whole world are things that he might do, but certainly didn't do. We're going to look at the parable of the sower today, which is sort of self-referential for Jesus. It's, he's describing how he goes about uh, his plan to fix the whole world, and it's not super efficient, right? I think maybe a focus group or two might have helped. Um, maybe figuring out what's been working over in Rome uh, would be beneficial, but he wasn't interested in those things very much. He went about it his own way. That was strange. But if the consultants were there talking to him, they would probably have, you know, they always have to try to be encouraging a little bit at first. They probably said, well, these parables are good. You know, people like stories. And... Uh, People can really connect to those, you know, they're really winsome. And I noticed that when you tell parables, every, you know, all the chatter kind of dies down and people really listen to you. Those, those are pretty good. But like, not that one about the sower, though. That one's, that one's kind of strange. Um, you know, is the best illustration for how you're going to launch a movement that turns the whole world right side up really about a haphazard farmer who throws seed all around in places that obviously aren't good places to throw seed where it's obviously not going to grow. I mean, that's probably not the one we want there. You want to rethink that one, right? Don't you know, like, have you ever heard the one about like the starfish all on the beach and I, you know, I helped that one or like footprints or something like that, you know, that would work better. Um, but yeah, not the sower. That's strange. And, uh, but Jesus who does everything unexpectedly, right, and never exactly what we think he would do, says, my kingdom doesn't come that way. It doesn't come in any way, the way anyone would expect. It's secret. It's hidden. It is unexpected. It comes in weakness. And all of us, then and now, ever since, have said, yes, yeah, surely there's a better way than that. Right? Jesus' way of bringing his kingdom in weakness, hidden, secret, um, doesn't seem like a good plan. So I want us to think about what he said again tonight. Uh, this uh, famous parable that's in all, all three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
um, in pretty good detail and even explanations given by Jesus of it uh, to see how he wants us to think about what he's doing in our lives and what he's doing in our families and our church and in the world. So let's pray. Father, please help us as we think about your word. Um, As is so often the case, uh, our thoughts are not your thoughts and our ways not your ways. And so we ask that you would open us to you and our hearts and minds and that you would shape us to see the world the way you do and to uh, think about it the way you do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning at verse 1 of Mark 4. It says, He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it didn't have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand the parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, and they're those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise Praise be to you, O Christ. So uh, a lot of you know Jackson and Sammy. They got married this weekend and now moving to California. But uh, Jackson, his friend, many of you, is from Alabama. Uh, We lived in the same town in Alabama. I was his pastor when he was a little boy. Some of you know that story. Uh, So I got to do the wedding, which was fun. And we got to host people in Tucson from Alabama. And so it was kind of on us to explain Tucson to people from Alabama. And like, Nick, how does you feel if you think Tucson's reputation is in my hands and what I understand about it? It's not good, good, right? So I, I can't figure, Tucson's an enigmatic place, delightful but enigmatic. So I didn't do very well. I'm better at explaining Alabama to people from other places. Uh, I had some help. One, I, uh, I know it better, but there's a 
sociologist at the University of North Carolina named John Shelton Reed, and he held a seminar uh, for people who were moving to the South from other parts of the country. And the name of the seminar was How to Get Along in the South, A Guide for Yankees. Right? And uh, his premise was, uh, based on a quote from W.P. Fox, who said, the average Yankee knows as much about the South as a hog knows about the Lord's plan of salvation. And uh, so it's pretty fair. And the premise of his seminar was this. Uh, the Reed's rule for getting along in the South is don't assume you know what's going on. Don't assume you know what's going on. It's inscrutable. And you might as well just come to terms with that because it's really hard to figure out. For instance, he said, if someone says, come see us, what do they mean? Um, most likely it means don't, right? <laughs> or it could mean come by if you have an urgent reason to. Or it could mean actually stop by, depending, And we don't always know, and don't assume you know what someone means by that. Or he said, if someone says to you, and they will do this in the South, they'll say, so where do you go to church? Um, What does that mean? What are they really asking? Uh, Well, it could just be a pleasantry, because that's the kind of thing people in the South seem to say to each other, where do you go to church? It could be a prelude to some serious witnessing. (laughs) (laughs) Or it could be an insult. Where do you go to church? (laughs) Right? <laughs> you don't know, he says, and we don't always know either, so don't assume that you know and that you'll do better that way. So I'm contending that when you look at Jesus' parables, Reed's rule holds here too. <laughs> don't assume you know exactly what he means because even the people closest to him at the time were scratching their heads a lot. Like, what What are you really saying? What am I supposed to think? How? What conclusions am I supposed to draw about this? Um, and... If you're newer to the faith or newer to church, it won't take you too long to figure out that we don't know what's going on that often either. Yeah, so we're sort of along for the ride as Christians, watching what Jesus is doing, watching how he does it, but never really knowing what to expect. And the parable of the sower sort of points that out. It's kind of weird that they didn't understand the parable because it's not hard, right? Um, Seed is like the good news that Jesus has come. As the promised Messiah to fix the world, that's the word. He keeps saying the word is like what I'm telling you is the kingdom's here because I'm here and I'm going to fix the world. Uh, You're going to be reconciled to God through me. Well, that's the message. And some people hear it and and different people respond differently. A lot of them reject it. um, And then some people don't and they're fruitful. So not not uh, rocket science, right? If, If it was rocket science, you could do it. I've been told. But. It's a simple illustration. They've seen this. There are people rejecting. The Pharisees were obviously rejecting what Jesus was saying. His family was rejecting it. But there were disciples and some of the crowds who were responding well to it. And I mean, it's just not, it's not complicated to understand the parable. Um, but Jesus said for them to understand that parable meant that they had been let in on the secrets of the kingdom of God. You see that? Okay, no, um, verse 11 to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, that's not like esoteric mysteries for the initiated. There are no, there are no deep levels in the Christian faith that we don't tell you until you, you know, you're in the 33rd degree Christian, Christianity or something. You know, it's, it, it's all out there. There's, there are no, there's no secret information. Seems like what Jesus is saying is 
you've been given a gift to be able to uh, perceive what's going on, to hear, to hear what I'm saying and believe it. Not because you're super smart or super spiritually attuned. It's a gift that God's let you have faith. Um, so you should know that and be thankful for it. But realize that the way this whole enterprise is going to go is different than you think. It's, it's going to seem like it's secret. Like a seed. You know, seed is secret. You don't really get to see seed working. It gets buried, you know, and then it happens. And then one day there's a sprout, you know. But, but seeds work in the dark. It's not impressive. You don't, you don't notice it growing. You don't notice it happening. But he's saying planting seed and seeing seed grow is kind of how my whole enterprise to fix the world is going to work. It's going to be kind of in secret and slow. It's going to be easy to reject, right? A lot of seed doesn't uh, take root and grow and stay fruitful, right? And the reason this is frustrating for everyone that heard it is that it's just not the way it's supposed to be. You know, the, when the Messiah comes, he's going to come with drama and glory and not like someone who's a haphazard farmer uh, putting seed out on the ground. That's not how that's supposed to work, right? Um, that's not how the world is going to get saved and fixed. You know, good, good for you if that's what you want to do, but that's not going to make any real big difference. And so I know good and well, and I think you would probably agree with me, that what Jesus should have done is uh, to have had uh, a message that was more obvious and more compelling. And so let's talk about that. It's my idea. Um, that it should, should have been more obvious what he was doing, that he was really the Messiah, that it was really true, so that everyone would believe it. He should have been Gandalf at Helm's Deep, you know, coming over the mountain with the light behind him, you know, at first light, look to the east, you know, and here he comes with all of his uh, horsemen to save the day. And that's not how Jesus came at all. That's what he should have done. Instead, you get the haphazard farmer most of whose seed seems to fail. You know, it's like it's only in the illustration, it's about 25% of the seed that actually roots. His way is slow and hidden. When he finished his ministry and was raised from the dead after he'd been crucified, and for 40 days, people and a lot of people saw him risen from the dead, he ascends into heaven. And who's left? 120. 120 people in the upper room. Like, um, not many more than this. After three years, after all he did, 120 people. But then there's Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Like 5,000 people are converted at once. And now it's on. It's going to go now. All we do is win, win, win from now on. And no, I mean... Pentecost was pretty dramatic right there that first week or so. It looks like they had 5,000 people, but you know, pretty soon you've got deserters. You've got a lot of opposition and persecution. And as soon as they start writing letters to any church that's just gotten started, they're writing about problems. Uh, things are not going easily and well. Um, and 2,000 years in to the enterprise of the Christian church, it's still pretty flimsy, pretty weak. Right? And when you think of the church, you think, wow, if there's one institution that everybody trusts that we know is awesome, it's the church. It's not actually what you hear, is it? Like it's, uh, yeah, they say, well, yeah, I go to church here for now. 
<laughs> but I used to go there and I'll probably go somewhere else in the future and you know, I'm just trying to muddle through and put up with it as best I can because the church isn't impressive. I'm impressive. Um, you know, the church gets really worldly. You see things like the, the Russian Orthodox Church, its complicity uh, politically and how they've been co-opted and you wonder, could that kind of thing ever happen anywhere else? And, you know, you think, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could. Um, the church, you remember the real golden age of the church, though? <laughs> Me neither. Like, there hadn't been one. Like, it makes it hard for someone who's, like, temperamentally conservative like me, you know, to get back to the good old days when there weren't. Uh, the church's golden age hasn't happened. So Jesus starts a flimsy movement, has 120 people, uh, and 2,000 years later, it's still weak. But the 120 people are 2 billion now. 2 billion. Without a golden age, without ever being impressive, the 120 is 2 billion. How'd that happen? Like a seed growing, secretly, quietly, unimpressively, uh, but inexorably. Right? 2 billion now. Uh, when he says a hundredfold, that's a pretty dramatic thing to say about uh, agricultural harvest, apparent, according to the uh, commentators anyway, like I know. But a uh, hundredfold sounds pretty modest compared to what's actually happened with Jesus' kingdom. And the message of hope in him has spread all around the world. So, you know, Jesus' life, though, was never spectacular. There were amazing things that happened, but they were in backwaters for the most part. And what's written over the story of his life is that he was rejected and despised by people for the most part. He wound up being crucified by popular demand. You know, it wasn't just one bad apple uh, politician or religious leader. The whole crowd wanted Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be killed. What they didn't know, though, there's a secret in the kingdom of Jesus, and that is that a seed has to fall into the ground and die and be buried before it becomes fruitful. And uh, that's Jesus' way of looking at his mission in the world, the seed that falls into the ground and dies and becomes fruitful. Not obvious, but powerful, like an acorn that a squirrel can break open and eat but which, if it grows in secret, can grow straight up through concrete and smash it. Right? So that's his metaphor. Uh, not obvious, but powerful. It's his kingdom coming. And so that means we should be patient, right? Uh, we can't see and know what's going on. We can't take our temperature spiritually as individuals or as a church and get much right. We don't know for sure what he's doing. A lot of it happens in secret. Uh, but we know that the good news about Jesus is powerful enough to change anybody, including you, including me. And that's what the seed idea gives us. The other thing, though, about Jesus' mission is it should have been compelling. It shouldn't have been easy to reject. You know, it should have been where everybody sees this and says, wow, I don't, even if I don't like it, I can tell this is true, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up and follow you. And that's not what happened either. You know? Wish it'd be, wouldn't it be nice if everyone easily believed uh, the Christian message? How happy that would make you. That would be great. 
But people don't. And what he says here is that it's kind of complicated why we don't, why we struggle with faith. You know, he talks about the different soils. And I know one way of talking about this parable is to say, which kind of soil are you? Are you the good soil? Are you the rocky soil, the thorny soil? You know, and that's probably a good way to do this. But um, I can't pick one. I'm like, yeah, I'm all those soils. <laughs> and so I realized that my struggle to believe Jesus' message you know, is troubled by all these things, right? You know, that uh, get distracted by the cares of life, uh, get calluses on my heart and harden, so it's like the road. And it says the devil comes and uh, undermines people's faith, and there's a lot going on. And then he says this really weird thing. He quotes Isaiah, the passage we read in the Old Testament reading. He says, and you know what? I'm using parables in large part so people won't understand. In some ways, bringing accountability for people's unwillingness to believe. And so I'm, I'm going to use these parables, um, not like they're that hard to understand, but when I describe life with God this way, most people are going to feel uncomfortable with that and not be able to go along with it um, because they're not going to want to humble themselves for the kind of help I'm bringing. You know, they want... Uh, someone to save them from Rome, not from God. And Jesus is coming and saying, God is a much bigger problem for you than Caesar, but I'm here to help. And that's not what they wanted. Um, But when you hear about the different soils and the attitudes that cause people to disbelieve, you think it's, it's not like we're all just super objective and rational people who are drawing great conclusions all the time. You know, we've got biases and uh, prejudices that cause us to believe or not believe. Um, so people also disbelieve because, you know, they have seen us up close too much. You know, they see bad Christians and, you know, a lot of Christians read this and they think, well, I've got to be the good soil and everyone needs to think that I'm the good soil and I need to look really fruitful and I need to do everything right. And so, you know, they, people look at us and they think, well, I'm not fooled by that. I can't believe you are. And they feel like there's unreality in the faith. You know, what Christians are supposed to be is um, trophies of God's mercy, not super impressive people that are super fruitful so that everyone can say, I want to follow Jesus so I can be like you. You know, that's not how his kingdom comes. That's not the secret hidden way. Um, So, yeah, um, bad Christians are a problem. What he says to them about their... Being good soil, and he basically says his disciples are good soil here, but he says, it's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom. Uh, So what you go out to tell people is not, be spiritually perceptive like I am and super in tune with God like I am. You go out and you say, there's hope for me, there's hope for you. And uh, that was their message, but that's not very often what the church has done well. So, but... Here's the thing, that Jesus is really turning the world right side up. His mission, this secret, strange, hidden seed mission, is really fixing the world. And we get to see it 2,000 years in and have some encouragement from that, even though mostly what we see is discouragement. But it's happening. He's doing it. Um, His promises are real. He's keeping them. He's bringing to fruition what he's started. And our hope's well-placed for that. But when you stop to measure your own life, this is why it's confusing. 
and measure your own church and things. When I read this, I think about our, our church plan. Brittany and Dan and Julie and I came out here about four and a half years ago. And so we want to be a part. We're going to plant this church. How's this going to go? And as likely as not, it could have gone like Isaiah's gig. You know, uh, Allie read about the call of the prophet Isaiah. I don't know if you listen to what he said. It's like, you know, God says, uh, who will I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. And he says, okay, here's your job. You're going to go preach and nobody's going to listen. You're going to pour out your life and your heart and nobody's going to listen. And that's your job. And I know that in advance and I'm telling you that's what I'm calling you to do. Now go get them, boy. And that was his job. That's what That was his ministry. And that's how it went. And that still happens. I mean, that could easily have happened with the RUF group on campus or with Midtown. And uh, I'm really happy that it didn't. And it's really fun to watch. But, you know, when you go to... So start up a new church, you get advice. You know, there's the best practices and stuff that works in Rome and all that. And, uh, you know, if you insert flap A into slot B and fold, you know, everything will work. And it's not true. Uh, it sort of is comforting to read that stuff when you're feeling insecure and anxious. But um, when I write my book about how I did it, you know... There's nothing in the book about that has anything to do with any of my plans. Right? You know, we've been watching God at work. Dan was saying this from the first day. God's at work. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't invite you people here. Right? I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anybody in here that I invited myself. And I don't think there is. And here you are. And it's really fun to watch. And who knows? Uh, what it's going to be like. But people ask you all the time when you're doing a church startup, how's it going? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it seems good. It could all completely collapse tomorrow and I wouldn't be surprised or shocked. I, I don't know how it's going. Ask me in 20 years. Um, maybe I'll know then. Maybe, maybe I won't have any idea until we look back at this from the other side and the new creation. I don't know. Because it's like seed and I can't see it. I can't dig it up and look at it to see if it's working, see if it's going, if it's growing or not. Our hope is that the word of hope in Jesus Christ is here. He's planting his seeds and uh, we get to watch it come to fruition. However he decides to do it, however big it gets or doesn't. So I think that's kind of relieving and fun. It's also terrifying. But it's like that in the rest of our lives too. You know, you, you, you set out, you're supposed to plan your life and your work and, you know, figure out what you're going to be and do and what kind of family you're going to have and how that's all going to go. And, but, I mean, whose plan ever works, really? Um, especially if you had plans about your kids, about whether you're going to have any or about whether it was going to work if you did and what they were going to be like and how their lives are going to turn out. I mean, you don't, you don't know that and you can't control it. We read books about it, um, or we used to. I don't know what you do now. I'm glad I don't know what you do now. But our books, we were talking about this at the wedding because the people who raised Jackson, we were a bunch of young families raising kids together, and we were laughing about the books we were reading, You know, one of which we referred to as uh, Shepherding Your Child's Rear End because it was like a really big spanking book. But... That may make you cringe, but what made the kids cringe was it was a really big lecture book, too. So not only did they get spankings, they got lectures. And it was, uh, yeah, I don't know if they still sell that book. 
much. But it was good. It helped me. But it didn't control my kids. Because I'm not their Savior. And I don't know how the seed works. And so you're trying to raise kids. You're sowing seed. And uh, it's up to God to make of that what He will. You don't have any real control over it. There are no guarantees that you get. You just sow seeds. I mean, one of the most famous Christian parents ever was Monica, St. Augustine's mother, but he wasn't St. Augustine for a long time. You know, And uh, she has this plan for him. She prays for him all the time, wants him to become a Christian, really leans on him, does a good job. And last thing she ever wants in the world is for him to move to Rome, you know, Sin City. But there he goes. And she's thinking, oh, well... You know, I'm a failure as a mother, failure as a parent, but the seed was sown. Take up and read. Next thing you know, Bishop of Hippo, right? Benadryl. Um, but Monica didn't know what was going on any more than you know what's going on with your kids. Right? So calm down. Sow the seed. Right? Sow the seed. Calm down. It's not, and don't take credit. Don't take blame. I mean... You know, Jesus is their Savior, you're not. And He does His work hidden, strange, secret. Be okay with that. And your own faith, for that matter. How are you doing spiritually? I don't know. I've never felt like saying, great! You know, that never seems like the right answer. Um, I don't know how I'm doing spiritually. Over time, I'm encouraged about some things. And I'm discouraged about some things. Um, but the seed's growing. Jesus knows what He's doing. He's going to get us home. It's inscrutable. You can't predict it. You can't plan it. You can't control it. Uh, but the seed is powerful. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, can change anybody. Change you can change me. So uh, that's where our confidence is supposed to be. Not that we've got everything uh, buttoned down really well and planned out really well. Uh, what we have are front row seats a vantage point to watch Jesus at work in the world. And uh, that's where I want to be. Now let's pray.